Welcome to the Doctoral Mentoring Masterclass for faculty sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. I'm Lee Stallander, the Associate Director of Faculty Research Training at Walden. If you're a Walden faculty member and would like credit for listening to this Masterclass podcast, please make a note of the code that will be given during the session and email it to me. I hope you enjoy the masterclass. All right, once again, welcome everyone. This is Lita Downs from the Office of Teaching and Learning Excellence, and I would like to welcome you to Walden University's ninth doctoral mentoring masterclass. The masterclasses are designed to allow faculty who have been identified as exceptional mentors to share their experiences and insights with the mentoring community. Today's session will be Mentoring Data Integrity. And the purpose of today's session is to develop a series of strategies for how to mentor students through data collection and to maintain data integrity. On the line today, we have Dr. Lee Statlander. She'll be moderating throughout the next 45 minutes. We also have our panelists, Dr. Leilani Gilstadt. We have Dr. Amy Sickle and Dr. Ann Hacker. Welcome everyone. And I'm going to turn things over to Lee. Thanks, Lita. I'm Lee Stoutlander. I'm the coordinator of faculty research training in ORDS. So let's introduce our panel members. Leilani, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Leilani Gelstead, and I have been faculty and staff at Walden for a little over 20 years. I've been in the role of IRB chair for 17, actually 18 of those years. And um, a background in psychology, mostly quantitative research with some qualitative research. Awesome. And Amy? Amy, are you there? Okay, we'll come back to her. Um, Anne? Hi, I'm Ann Hacker. I'm with the School of Public Policy and Public Administration. <clears throat> I've been with Walden for about 15 years. And um, my primary function is that I mentor doctoral students, um, either as chair, uh, second committee member, or URR. I also teach at a number of our academic residencies and dissertation intensives. Amy, you want to try again? Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yep. Great, thank you. Hi, I'm Amy Sickle, and I'm the Associate Dean for the PhD Psychology Program, and I've been with that program since 2005, long time. So Leilani, do you have any statistics or insights on data integrity before we get started? Well, it's one of those things that is really difficult to get statistics on. Um, however, I guess what I could share is, is from other faculty, um, at our last NFM session where we talked about this topic, we did an informal poll and we just asked it, um, asked the group, have you ever had a student capstone data set, get your spidey senses tingling? <laughs> kind of raise your eyebrow. And over 60% said yes. And that actually somewhat surprised me, but um, I think it actually was reassuring to everyone that they you know, it's, it is somewhat um, common. And then um, 
in case we forget to mention earlier, that session that we did last fall is recorded and has a lot of really great tools, kind of pragmatic tools, like what exactly, you know, how can I word the email to that student, things like that. Um, so I would encourage anyone who, if you find yourself in this situation, or if you just want more information, um, kind of concrete tools um, to check out that, and it's on the um, OTLE website. Awesome. Thank you. So let's start with the date definition of data integrity. What do we mean when we talk about that? Anybody want to jump in? I, I will go for it. Um, I think for me, it involves knowing that the data exists, um, that um, you know the student has gone out, collected data, or whether it's secondary or um, uh, primary data, um, that they've collected it and that it exists in its raw form, that um, it's preserved, whether it's recorded, um, transcribed, um, that there is, um, there is something that once the student is done with their data analysis and the docu, the dissertation's published, that if someone were to read that dissertation and say, golly, this is really cool. I'm going to contact the researcher and see if they would mind sharing their raw data, that it's there and that it, it accurately represents the findings and um, the uh, results of the study. I, I would, saw Yelani go. <laughs> yes, I heard her say that money word. She said accurately. To me, yeah, data set integrity, if you had to summarize it in one word, would be accurate. And um, that it's um, accurately reflecting, the, that the data set accurately reflects reality so that we can then extend our interpretation that, okay, well, the findings represent reality. And one of the things that um, data set integrity, um, it... You might think of it like how we talk about water purity, that we often talk about water purity in terms of all the things that aren't in the water. There aren't contaminants in the water. And so similarly, I would say that a, a, a data set with integrity is free from threats or contaminations like bias, tampering, errors, inconsistencies, incompleteness, and sloppy execution of methodology. <laughs> <laughs> which is a really, unfortunately, kind of a common one for first-time researchers. But um, it, it's multifaceted, I think, that, you know, the integrity and all those threats to data set integrity. Amy, did you want to say something? I think you started before. I, I was in, in agreement, actually, with both. <laughs> and I love what Anne said in terms of it accurately reflecting, you know, the raw data is exactly what was collected, right? And then it's the process thereafter. It's challenging because of course we get students who, um, and, and we as researchers all quote unquote, clean our data, right? And that gets to be tricky. And that's a piece where the student part comes in and our job as educators to make sure everybody's clear on what that means and what that doesn't mean. And that our goal is exactly that, what, um, that Anne and Leilani have described. I and think Darcy just pointed something out in the chat that the, data set has not been manipulated or edited before analysis. It's a big one too. 
Thanks, Darcy. I think one of the one of the tools that can be used to um, to the advantage of this whole topic is um, the automatic uh, transcription function of so many of the, especially if you're doing interviews, um, you're recording the interviews, they can be transcribed as they're being recorded. However, the student still needs to go back and listen and you know, fill in any or correct any of the transcription glitches. And while it is an extra step, um, it's important because you're, again, you're accurately presenting the data, which in qualitative research is the participants' words and, or their feelings, emotions, the information that you're getting from them. And one word or the lack of an um or a pause, you know, it can mean, tell a whole other story. So, um, you know, I know many times students will say, do I have to put in the ums? Well, if it's important, <laughs> that um might represent something. So, um, there again, the accuracy is really the critical issue. I noticed that Tammy put something in the chat that I would love to follow up on. She said, there's also an aspect of integrity um, to looking at the participants. And I'm, I'm not sure, hopefully Tammy, if you could share um, are you, if, whether you're referring to fake volunteers, which has happened um, a few times recently. I think it's always been there in, in research that sometimes, especially if you are providing a, a thank you gift, that sometimes you get people who fake, uh, either fake mm -hmm. their responses to a survey or even some even go so far as to try to fake interview responses to get the compensation or the gift card. And um, we put out a fraud alert last year to just, especially students who use our participant pool because it's on the public website. And, you know, there are uh, some very simple ways of just screening your participants at the beginning to try to head off um, any, anyone who's um, faking. Um, and you should be able to do that by checking your inclusion criteria against, um, well, by just directly asking them that at the beginning of the interview. And if they don't meet the inclusion criteria, if the researcher doesn't perceive that that person legitimately meets the inclusion criteria, then don't continue with the interview and just thank them for their time. And, 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 you know, don't, you don't need to compensate them and you don't need to conduct the interview. But um, I don't know, Tammy, if, if you meant something else, please put that in the chat so we could share that definition that, or that aspect that you were raising. We just had that happen recently, in fact. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of different phases where that can, where that happens, right? Where you become aware of that. Sorry, Lee, go ahead. I'm just gonna go on to the next question. Um, so how do you have students approach data collection? Ideally, I can jump in there in our ideal yeah. world. Um, our, our, we're hopefully having, um, it kind of even begins before that, right? Because it begins really when they're working on their methods and, and outlining how they're going to collect data, making sure that the methods and the approach um, are not in any way um, biased or problematic um, from a design perspective in terms of the quality of the data you're going to get. 
but as well then making sure, um, for example, for our students, that everybody is aware of all of the resources we have at places like ORDS, IRB, at other places, so that students have all of that. I think data. I think data collection involves all of these steps, including lots of communication, regular communication with the committee. Um, the committee needs to be very involved, whether it's the chair and/or the methods member, <clears throat> in terms of um, just really focusing on data collection as a very important piece. It's not just the part where you're like, "Oh, thank goodness, I finally got this done." I, I mean, I'm collecting data. I'm all set. I'm going to just take a break now and relax, and you know, let the data come in. For example, if you're doing a survey or something like that, and you're not doing interviews yourself or whatever, so it's really taking an active, um, I think, focus in terms of making the data collection process um, out in the open, and then of course, you know, being able to see the data, right? And and the chair and um, committee member need to be able to see copies of the data set, copies of analysis, and being able to make sure that everything aligns. I think one, one of the issues for me when I'm working with students um, is getting them to slow down. Um, data collection, <clears throat> and again, I, I primarily work with qualitative studies, but um, it's not a process that can be rushed. When we rush through things, we make mistakes, whether intentionally or unintentionally, things are skipped. So it's really important for the, the um, data integrity, as well as respecting the participants' time to just take your time to ask questions to, you know, those follow-up pieces um, when you're doing interviews or even, um, you know, online surveys, there's, <clears throat> we need to be very, especially as Amy mentioned, in the development of the methodology and the protocol that you're using, um, that all is, those are all parts of data integrity and taking your time and getting it right and um, not rushing through, I think is, is a real critical part of that. Do you have students send you like their practice interviews or anything so you can see how they're doing it or? I require my students to do that. Yeah, I do too. I, I also, um, you know, at the very beginning when they first start working with me, um, I tell them that it's not an option. They will be sharing their data as they go along. Um, I like to um, see that first transcript and then we'll talk about how to code that. Um, because this is for many of them, it's the first time they've done this. And um, I don't, I'm not a, you know, I have my routine that may not work for everybody else. So um, I'm very aware of that, but um, I have I haven't had any students say no I don't want to I don't want to share this with you. <laughs> I have had students say I can't I don't have my data, um, um, but they can find it again. Leilani, any insights on data collection? No, I don't have anything to add besides what they've already mentioned. Okay. 
So what are some common issues you see with data integrity? <laughs> I can share some of the patterns that um, I hear about from um, faculty members that sometimes the findings, uh, especially for qualitative study, just don't match up with the interview questions. There's a disconnect. The dots aren't connecting, so to speak, and that sometimes raises concern. Or other times they're just the responses are too perfect or too, you know, line up a little too neatly and they just it doesn't seem like that could have realistically, that those findings um, could have realistically arisen from um, those interview questions. And um, in some cases, also the student can't explain fairly simple aspects of the data collection or the data set. They, they can, you know, they have trouble explaining how they went about recruiting or how they went about obtaining consent or conducting the interviews. You know, I would jump in there too on the quantitative side when, like you mentioned, if the data, the resulting data looks too perfect, if you will, or you see, let's say, multiple choice patterns in the response that seem um, curious. Uh, the other thing we have had occasionally is somebody who collects data in record speed. And while sometimes that can happen with some, you know, sampling sites uh, that are very large, other times uh, that's less likely. So sometimes that can be a problem as well, for example, with the, with the quantitative. And that too is a big piece of, you know, really the mentors being paying attention, right? And then being in, um, you know, connection with the students as the, as the data collection progresses and keeping an eye on it and um, just making sure that they're having conversations with the student because I think that's really important for the mentors to be able to um, talk to the students. So as Leilani said, you know, we can understand what's happening with the data and get a sense, right, um, if there's any kind of a problem. And that's more likely to um, more likely to be able to figure that out if you know we're in good communication with our mentees. Yeah, I, Amy brings up the I think what's the most critical piece, and that is the communication with the mentee. That um, you know, as URR, I hear stories about from students that, and I, I haven't talked to my. Um, my chair that I haven't had any conversations with them about this. And so they're getting feedback from me that um, on my first review that they've, you know, the alignment's just not there. And here's an example of how you might align it, whether it's qualitative or quantitative, there still needs to be that connection between the research question, your theory, your methodology, and your results. <laughs> and um, and here are some ways that you might be able to, to do that. Here are some, some examples. Um, so it's so important to have that communication with your mentee that, um, that they feel comfortable reaching out and asking, what am I supposed to do now? They're so excited about collecting, getting IRB approval is like, yay. And then they go and they collect data that's so exciting. And now they realize they have to analyze it. <laughs> so, um, you know, we need to support, be there to support them as well. So that's a great point, meaning the alignment right on into the analysis and the findings. And that's another piece where I know a lot of, 
um, mentors can, you, you really can detect a difference in voice or a difference in, um, even if it's just understanding, and it may be just that the student isn't certain of their understanding, and that's okay and to be expected, right? Um, but the mentors need to be kind of tuned into that so that they can have those conversations. Um, because I know sometimes students struggle, right, with going and um, doing their analyses after all of this work, just as Anne said, it becomes um, particularly important, I think, to help see the integrity of the data all the way through, make sure it makes sense in the findings. You know, as Amy, as you were um, talking, it, it just clicked in my head. It it also carries over into that final presentation. Um, when we're doing the final, listening to the final presentation, and we're doing our questions or our you know comments afterward, um, I think sometimes asking, can you explain a little bit more about how you analyze the data and how it connects to your frame, your theoretical conceptual framework. Um, were there any surprises? Um, you know, students need our students in order to be good representatives of Walden University and the field that they're researching in. They really need to be conversant in those things um, and to be able to, to verbalize how they did this. Uh, that's another part of data integrity that um, might be a little more uncomfortable for the student, but um, we're not we're not trying to trip trip them up. Um, and so um, that's another area where we as faculty can can help facilitate that data integrity is in the final presentation. And and I think also, um, you know, along with what what both Anne and Amy were saying is that if we set the culture and the expectations from the beginning, um, and this is a shift Walden is currently experiencing because I don't think there at this time is a universal expectation among students that that data set is going to be shared with one of your committee members. It comes up and, and honestly, um, what I hear from faculty, students are sometimes a little defensive when a committee member asks to see the raw data. And that is something that we're working on shifting. And part of it is that, um, part of that is um, a policy that we only um, verbalized and posted, um, I think it was at the beginning of the pandemic actually, so in 2020. And so it may have gotten lost in the shuffle as we were all trying to adapt to that lifestyle. But we, um, in the Walden Student Handbook, we posted a policy that states that all students need to be able to provide the raw data set electronically to their faculty members. Because um, I wouldn't say we had a lot of situations where the students refused to share the data set, but there were a few enough that it was concerning that people would either say, no, I don't want to share my data set, or um, I can't find those tapes. And it was like, oh, there's this tape somewhere, or I don't <laughs> want to send, I don't want to mail you my original tapes and I don't want to spend the money on copy. So we said, okay, no, enough with the tapes it needs to be electronic and it needs to be shareable with your faculty member. And we you know that's the written policy. And then certainly the, the culture can just be more supportive. I mean, that's our goal ultimately is just um, the idea that it should not be an odd thing for a faculty member to listen to the first interview 
that that should be pretty standard, right? And give some feedback. And I and I know there's a lot of variability from committee to committee and program to program, but that's probably what any of us would benefit from or would have liked doing our first set of interviews. And um, if if that expectation is there that you're going to be sharing your entire could share your entire data set and that you will be sharing, for example, your first interview recording, I think then there's less opportunities or chances for there either to be confusion or straight up sloppiness, um, cutting corners and such. If um, and again, all of this framed within a supportive uh, you know framework that it, it's there to help you um, get good findings that are meaningful and that are going to be useful to the community. You know, Leilani, you bring that bring up uh, another issue, and I, I might be wrong, but as I recall, doesn't IRB require that that data be available for five years mm -hmm. for the completion, and that it it's it, it's not only Walden's requirement; it's a federal requirement. So, and any journal would expect you to have the data yeah. set available. Yeah, certainly. And you know, I've told students who've said to me, well, I, you know, my computer crashed and I lost all my data. I, well, um, how was your data sent to you? Well, it was sent to me by email. Go to another computer and re-get it because without the data, you really don't have the research. And that's a hard, hard thing to say. It's a hard thing to hear. But again, we can work, work together and you know, um, one of the advantages of sending me your transcripts is that I don't lose stuff. So, you know, it's backed up in three different places. So, um, including Walden's server. So, um, whether it's, you know, statistical data, secondary data, interview transcripts, whatever, it's it's got to be preserved. So... I'm seeing some comment about backup plan in the chat, which is great. You absolutely need to always have a plan B and for some of us plan C. And, <laughs> but I think, you know, when we think about the culture and expectations, um, you know, in terms of our work with students, to, for me, it's important to remember to step back and say that all of this that we're doing is nothing we wouldn't expect of ourselves, you know, in our own research. Um, if I'm working with colleagues and we're taking a look at data, we often offer to share and we or we do look at the data set together, or if we have questions about something, we go back and review. So it's this is really just helping, hopefully, our students learn best practices um, that hopefully they'll continue after Walden. Yeah, I like that. It's nice. You know, Elizabeth raises a good question in the chat that I think all of us would love a better answer for. But for now, she asks, how will data be secured during transmission between student and chair? That is such a good question. And at this time, you know, there are several possibilities. Um, the OneDrive, which is password protected and about as secure as what we can offer at this time to students. Um, and, and that is probably the preferred method from what I understand. There's task stream, but we don't upload data sets in a task stream. Um, and there's also the classroom, but we're not really uploading. That's that's not um, 
not an ideal option. But I think that um, the IT department actually reached out to us, to the Office of Research and Doctoral Services recently to ask about data set security. So that that's good. And we're moving forward to identify, um, is OneDrive still the best or can, can another type of storage and transmission um, platform be better? So stay tuned for more information on that. I'm really curious to see where this goes as well. That's good to hear, actually. Mm -hmm. It's encouraging. They're willing to put money into it if, if they understand our needs clearly enough. You know, one thing, if I could, I would jump I would jump in and mention that we're starting to get some concern around the use of bots, right, and, and plagiarism bots. And that's something we're starting to see come up. Um, and I, that's another area where we really need the chairs and the and the committee members to be paying attention to what's going on, to be in constant kind of dialogue and communication with their students, because that is the piece that's going to help us, regardless of whatever the integrity issue might be, uh, to be able to connect with the student and understand the student's understanding. And that's the stuff that, in part, is going to help us with those. They'll certainly um, are, and there will be more um, software programs to help us identify the bot stuff and the bot plagiarism. Um, but that's something too that really stresses, at least from my way of thinking, how important that connection is and that the data integrity is its own focal point, right? And that we can address it. So I don't know, Anne, if you're seeing that in your program, but we're starting to get some concerns around that one. Yeah. And it has come up on a number of occasions um, in discussions about policy analysis. Yeah. Um, that would be a real easy one to plug into a bot into chat GPT and come out with policy analysis. My, and might be incredibly naive, but um, when, you know, when we're talking to students, if they can't explain what they've done, if they, you know, tell me the characteristics of your theory without naming the theory, is pretty basic. And if they can't do that, then we go back and we work a little bit more on the literature review. Um, it's along the same lines of explain um, what type of analysis you did and why. And if they can't do that, you know, I don't have problems with using, um, I do have problems with plagiarism, but um, have not experienced that uh, with my students. But in terms of um, not being able to explain why you didn't what you did. Uh, I don't have problems with a stats tutor helping you with your data analysis, but you need to be able to understand it. Mm -hmm. um, you didn't have someone else do it and now you're reporting it. Um, and those are all, you know, integrity, accuracy, um, original, you know, this is your original research. Not stuff you farmed out to other people. So. Leilani, is it a concern that students could fake qualitative data with the chat bot thing? Yeah, I think so. I think um, that's even more of a concern in my eyes than, you know, a, a chat bot helping to paraphrase a sentence that you're having trouble paraphrasing or something like that. Um, mainly because of that, going back to accuracy, if, if the um, bot is creating fake responses by sort of bootstrapping or just grabbing things from the internet, 
that's that's not an accurate reflection. A, it's not an accurate reflection of the sample that the student is supposed to be getting from, um, well, sampling from the population. Um, but it's, and it's also concerning of how um, if you've ever looked at how the bots combine really odd things that clearly don't match. If you're a human being, you can tell these things shouldn't go together. And sometimes it grabs things from different sources and it and it just is so obvious. Um, and other times it's not obvious, but it'd be very misrepresentative um, of accuracy. So yeah, that is, that is a, a serious concern for the interview data for sure. Do we have any questions from our audience? And you would be welcome to be unmuted. You just raise your hand, Lita can do that for you. Uh, looks like Lynn has a question. Am I unmuted? You are. Okay, hi. Hello, hi. Lynn. I actually do have a question. Uh, I I have a student that I have a great suspicion <laughs> is doing things that we would consider not in the uh, data integrity realm of, of approach. And yet I have not yet to see it. He's just finished IRB and is now rushing the process. And I'd like to know what people have done said what has been successful in ferreting that out early in the process so that I don't have to go back and slap his hands down the road when he gets to the point. And, and because I, I, I highly think this is going to happen. And this is a volatile individual who will find ways to try to, you know, take it back out on the university. And so I would like to, to take proactive steps to ensure that what he does going forward is actually accurate, even if he's already collected data, which I suspect he has, although I can't prove that. Um, and you know what 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 can what's been successful with other people? Most of my students have not been this way since I've been here, and and he is a, he's a pretty stark example. So I'd love to have some help. That's my question. <laughs> Thanks, Lynn. I can share a couple things. And boy, <laughs> that sounds really challenging. Um, the Like we mentioned before, setting a, a supportive culture of how engaged you and the other committee members will be with looking at the data set and analyzing the data set that I think you can kind of roll into the term plan um, process. Um, you can if you encounter any resistance or if you start to feel that it's about to become defensive, um, you can add phrasing and, and you know, framing to your requests um, uh, that it's your responsibility as a supervisor um, to um, support the accuracy of okay. the data collection. That's what I want to know is what's been, oh, he's he's challenged everything I've asked him to do since day oh, one. Oh, already, I see. Uh, I mean, this has been, and and everybody, he challenges any any critique, any anything. So the challenges, we're, we're way past that point. Oh, I see. Lots of communication. I've had many, 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 many meetings with this person. This is not a hands-off situation whatsoever. Oh, okay. okay. If you want to put your email address in the... um in the chat, or if you want to email me directly. I'll shoot you an email, Alana. You've got very good with all my people. 
you're, oh, you're, sure. you're yeah, wonderful I, to work with. And, oh, and mostly you. I have absolutely no problems. But this one is, this, this, I'm trying to be proactive before the problem actually becomes a real problem. That's uh -oh. really smart. I'd be happy to send you some um, kind of canned wording that Gina and I have of, developed yeah. in the past. And yeah. if you see something you can use there, but um, it sounds like you're taking the right approach to be proactive and, and also yeah. um, to help if the other committee members um, are also can help with setting the culture, then hopefully he yeah, can see so that's not just you. That's a different oh. issue. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 it's the it, we have our yeah I'm just being blunt <laughs> but not That's everybody okay. takes as as much uh, uh, hands-on approach as others uh, so but but in this case this is a an individual who's like I said challenged everything that's been said and does it in an intimidating fashion to some uh, I'm not I'm too old I'm you know to be intimidated <laughs> so it's gonna happen here but but and he knows that at this point but he's tried everything he could do to uh to make this yeah yeah and 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 even as to saying incredibly uh inappropriate things so I have oh, I, wow. and I backed him off and he's apologized and so forth but he's trying to see where on every issue it's where is that line and because uh starting out with all the right words because he knew I wanted to hear them and then deciding oh no we have to get through very quickly or else and you know, you know, and, yeah, something yeah. to watch out there for there to Lynn and others. It hasn't come up yet, but are the our students are inundated with emails, social media posts from unscrupulous consultants that for a very hefty fee will right. give them a data set or a completed dissertation. You know, there's various packages. And sometimes when students are that I mean, I totally get where they're coming from with the how, you know managing the expense of tuition during the dissertation phase at the end but sometimes you can you can tell when a student is really just looking for any shortcut and that's um maybe it's a little too late with this student for Lynn but helping to set the culture and the tone that um you know we'll be meeting about these interviews we'll be processing it together that can help students even though it may be tempting and in it's I've seen I'm sure you have too I've seen some of these ads they're the people who write these ads are so good at making it seem like everybody does it everyone uses an editor and a lot of people use you know packages like mine or purchase package get the mm -hmm. deluxe package treat yourself you know like it's this um not treat yourself but, um, just they've got <laughs> really convincing ads that make it seem like it's normal you, you just sometimes have to spend money to get it done and so um it can be very tempting i think for students yeah. i don't think he's doing that i think he's just already got his connections and things are are lined up but i i you know it's a, it, it and and as i said it's it's more the relationship and the gut feeling that i have he hasn't i can't i can't prove it at this point and i may not be able to prove it but i but i just i you know I've seen enough of them over even before I worked here and have been other places. This is not he's got all the earmarks, shall we say, from uh, of the person who's doing this. And I, you all know what I mean. You've seen them. So I was just wondering what we found successful with the other other issue that there's also the pressure now to get things done faster. And at some cases, points of the dissertation, that's not a good idea. And so that's a university kickback thing, too. So we've got and and. 
And I don't know if there's any <clears throat> any uh, advice you all have on that when we're in those situations with students like this. Because I think someone in the chat said, if it's qual students, slow them down. Great idea, but, you know, how do we deal with those things? I think one thing, and Leilani's brought it up a couple times, Amy's brought it up, is the idea of developing a culture in your in your 9,000 shell. And that could be as simple as an announcement to all of the students, you know, with urgent, urgent, <clears throat> um, that from this day forward, um, this these are your expectations. I, yeah. I put it at the And I have done a fair point. amount of that, Anne, as we've moved forward. Yeah. But the point is to make it for everybody. And yeah. this is not an option. So that everybody's forewarned. Now, you know, this guy, I don't know anything about him. Don't need to know. I got my own set of people. <laughs> Understand. <laughs> but, um, you know, <clears throat> I, I have found quite often that the students that I at first feel like are so challenging are the ones that teach me the most about myself about oh, sure. how to maybe change how I work with them um, mm -hmm. rather than looking for, you know, I mean, we all have those little spidey tingles that what's going on here. Um, so rather than looking for something bad, maybe, you know, explain how you came about the data so quickly. I'd like to know what <laughs> might be useful in the future. Um, and they might tell you to go, you know, take fly a kite, but those are code mm -hmm. of issues yeah. that, you well, know. Well, I appreciate your thoughts. Really. Yeah. You know, if I could just jump in there, Lynn, I know you mentioned that the second member, um, it doesn't sound like that necessarily you're being able to lean on them much, but that's something that I always talk with faculty about is being able to have the mm -hmm. second member be a part of that you know, um, a part of the messaging to the student, a part of the culture, right, that you're creating mm -hmm. in your 9000 space as well, and to make sure and to so for example, having phone calls with both you and the second member and the student. Um, mm -hmm. That's something that I often encourage things like that, that can be um, helpful as well. But I oh, guess I'd I probably embarrass them into doing it. But yeah. <laughs> Good luck. I'm Thank sorry. You. It sounds a little stressful. It's all right. It's I'm not worried about that. I'm more worried about making doing a, something proactive that 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 either uncovers this or lets the student off the hook and feel like that they know what you know that they know what they're yeah. doing. So I appreciate all your thoughts very much. Yeah. I also really appreciate Leilani's comment there about the tone of your classroom and even including an announcement or something that says, you know, this is this is what we're going to be doing in our research practices going forward. And also reminding everybody what, you know, data integrity is. You can put an announcement about that in your classroom. You can make that a reminder mm -hmm. um, and, you know, help develop that culture yourself. Yeah, that's a really great idea. And thank you, Anne. I appreciated your, your thoughts on that, too. The code for this podcast is Alpha 320. Morris I, asked a question in the chat. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, Morris asked a question in the chat, um, wondering, you know, if a faculty member encounters resistance um, from a student about sharing raw data, um, you are very welcome to reach out to either me or your program director. Sometimes, um, when it's me, sometimes it might be a potential IRB issue or it might fall under code of conduct. 
in in the latter case, I would just sort of work with the associate dean or whoever the lead, if there's a research coordinator in your program, um, to uh, we we definitely are there to support. You shouldn't feel like you have to handle it on all on your own. Absolutely, and that is a good point to say thank you to our panelists. Uh, we are about out of time. Great job, everybody. I think everybody's learned something today. Um, really appreciate all of you. And I want to remind our audience that if you have additional tips that you have thought of, I would love to hear them. Um, if you email me, I will include them in our guidebook that we're putting together. And thanks again to Lita for all of her help. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank Bye -bye. you. Welcome to the Doctoral Mentoring Masterclass for faculty sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. I'm Lee Stallander, the Associate Director of Faculty Research Training at Walden. If you're a Walden faculty member and would like credit for listening to this Masterclass podcast, please make a note of the code that will be given during the session and email it to me. I hope you enjoy the masterclass.